Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. For the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call 646 727 3070. That's 646 727 3070. You can listen to the blog, you can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com. Send messages to the show on Twitter. At go for a can't. And why are you there? On Twitter. At go for a can't. Give me a follow. At go for a can't. Great show lined up for you today. Big show lined up for you today. Back to be joined by newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Kenny Easley. And we're going to talk about, you know, the journey to the Hall of Fame. Also, we're going to be joined by Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander. He's a free agent. He had a big year. He won defensive MVP in the Pro Bowl. So maybe he expects to get paid, but we're going to talk to Lorenzo. And then guitarist Kerry Marshall will be joining us. He's got his single coming out, Puppy Love, dropping February 17th. So great show lined up. For you today, and as we go through these next 90 minutes, we're going to touch on a lot of things. Charles Oakley, of course, Kevin Durant going back to OKC, Tom Brady, not you know, and, and Donald Trump, and some of the Patriot players not going. Talk about that. Tom Brady being a GOAT, Super Bowl 51. We got a lot to talk about. Short time to get there. So let's start with Charles Oakley. Today, James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, told Michael Kay that, you know, well, first and foremost, they did fire the head of security there. They hired their, uh, their security chief at the arena. He's fired. Charles Dolan, excuse me, James Dolan said, you know what? Charles Oakley shouldn't even got in there. James Dolan said Oakley was was yelling and saying racial things and sexual things and, you know, things of that nature, so on and so forth. And obviously these two don't like each other. Obviously these two have had a beef, a riff, a problem, an issue over the past few years. 
Oakley has been very critical of the Knicks organization, very critical of James Dolan. So in reality, I guess this was bound to happen on some level. Maybe. But, I mean, it didn't have to be this way. You know, the Knicks are saying that Oakley was impaired before he entered the arena. He was drinking. Oakley does acknowledge that he was drinking. He didn't didn't say anything in terms about him being drunk or anything of that nature. Nick's employees, you got one employee who says that, you know, he was, he seemed inebriated, okay? So on and so forth. Here's the reality of the situation. Oak says one thing, the Knicks say another. Who knows to the believe? Who knows? But here's the thing. The Knicks organization, Charles Oakley, and the NBA all look bad here. Charles Barkley said it last night, and he's, he's absolutely, positively, 100% right. The Knicks look bad. The NBA looks bad. Charles Oakley looks bad. Everybody looks bad. No one looks good here. This doesn't. Not a good look. What happened at the Garden on that day should have never happened. First and foremost, if you feel like Charles Oakley should not be in the arena, then you need to come to him quietly. Or or, or maybe you bring over somebody, Phil Jackson, for example, a, a guy who knows Oak. You know, maybe Phil Jackson go over and talk to him. Maybe somebody can talk to Oak quietly. And Oak can leave quietly, and it doesn't have to come down to security and police taking Oak out. And then ultimately Charles Oakley being arrested. That did not need to happen. Now, as I look at this situation, got two sides of every story. There's the truth. There's there's two sides to every story, and then there's the truth. And it seems like to me. Charles Oakley might be a little guilty. The Knicks might be a little guilty. And thus we have the incident that we have. You know, maybe over the years, we've known Charles Oakley as a guy who doesn't mess around. And if you have a problem with Oakley, he's willing to handle it physically. Whether it's Jeff McGinnis, whether it's Tyrone Hill, whether it's Charles Barkley. We've heard the stories over and over about Charles Oakley and his reputation, if you will, of, of if you mess with Oak, if you step out of line, if you you know say some things you're not supposed to say, don't be surprised if Charles Oakley's going to smack you up. Don't be surprised if you get smacked up by Charles Oakley. That's just what it is when it comes to Charles Oakley. He is a guy over the years who does not have a problem settling a dispute with his hands. And over the years, we've seen it. Now, again, if the Knicks don't want him in the garden, even though he paid, you know, he had a ticket and he got in and so on and so forth, and as we know, James Dolan's going to ban Charles Oakley for a period of time. He didn't say for life, but it's going to be for a period of time. But I think Oakley has said over the years 
that he has tried to to sit down and and talk to James Dolan to try to mediate the situation, to end the problem, end the beef, end the issue that these two have. But, but, you know, obviously these two people haven't been able to come together. You know, a, a, a legendary Nick, a guy who the Knicks fans love and they were yelling his name, so on and so forth. Charles James Dolan, excuse me, I'm talking about his father, trying to call his father. It's James Dolan. Charles is his daddy. But James Dolan said Oakley has had problems with anger, and he said he may have a problem with alcohol. We don't know. That's what he said. I don't know. I don't know if he has a problem with alcohol. Maybe he has a problem with anger. Again, doesn't have a problem laying hands, putting his paws on people. You don't have a problem with it. We've seen it. We heard about it. So we know that to be the truth. He doesn't have a problem putting his paws on people. But I think in that particular situation, Oak, first of all, it seems like they're surrounding him like a bunch of guys. So anytime you surround an individual with four, five, six people, you're automatically getting that person on the defensive. And when that person's on the defensive, you know, when you're on the defensive, you're going to do some things, possibly. If you look at an animal, if you corner an animal, if you corner an animal, that animal might react. That animal might do something. They always say, you know, certain animals you just don't corner because if you corner them, they're going to come out spiting. They're going to come out swinging, and it's going to be an issue. So first and foremost, it might have gone wrong by sending four or five guys over. That was just, you automatically get a guy on the defensive when you send that many people at him. You get him on the defensive already. So that, that was done wrong. Maybe that's why the head of security got fired. I don't know. I know, but James Dolan said, you know, that it was some issues over the years, and basically he said he wasn't doing that great of a job. That situation was sad to see. Nobody wants to see a guy like Charles Oakley who's had the success of Charles Oakley with the New York Knicks. Nobody wants to see that type of guy get taken out by security and police. But at the same time, if you're Charles Oakley, you're a middle-aged man. You're 53 years old. You know, you're surrounded by police, security, and whatnot. You know better. You're at the age where you should be like, okay, let's work this through. But again, 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 again. Anytime you send four or five guys to a man, an individual, you're going to automatically get that man, that individual, on a defensive. It didn't have to be that way. If you didn't want Charles Oakley there, find a way to quietly remove Charles Oakley. Don't do it in that particular situation where you embarrass the guy, where you embarrass the organization, and where you embarrass 
the NBA. The Knicks are a team at this point in time. Their best player, Carmelo Anthony, is feuding with, the, uh, with Phil Jackson, the president. Their team at this point in time, they're on the outside looking in, in terms of the playoffs. You know, you bring in a Derrick Rose, you bring in a Joe Kim Noah, and it's just accordingly as well. And at this point in time, you're three and a half games out of the eighth and final spot of the playoffs. But, I mean, you make the playoffs, you get swept in the first round, or maybe you get five, you win one, maybe you take it to five or something. But at the end of the day, end of the day, the Knicks are uh, uh, just a sad franchise. Uh, you, 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 being the New York Knicks and the situation that you're in, it's just not good. James Dolan hasn't produced a winner, whether it's Isaiah Thomas, whether it's Donnie Walsh, whether it's Phil Jackson. It don't matter. You got to rebuild this thing. And rebuilding the New York Knicks starts with moving on from Carmelo Anthony. That starts there. Maybe even me moving on from Phil Jackson. It might even me moving on from Jeff Hornacek. Even though he really, this is the first time. You know, first, you know this is his first year with the Knicks. It might mean moving on from him, too. This might mean that. But they're a mess. They have issues. They have problems. And they need to do something quick, fast, and in a hurry. I have to say, Charles Oakley looked like somebody's uncle out there fighting off security and, and, and fighting off the police. I thought it was somebody's uncle out there. Uncle Oak out there fighting. But, you know, the reality is Oakley could have got hurt. I mean, something bad could have happened. You know, we've seen, we've heard, and I'm not saying it would have happened here, but we've seen and heard, you know, you got the situation with uh, Tabo Cephalosha, plays for the Hawks, and, you know, he messed up his leg getting taken down by police. So anything could have happened. And Oak could really seriously got hurt. And I think that would have made the situation even worse. So this could have been worse, but this was bad. And this is a kind of epitomizes what the New York Knicks are at this point. The laughing stock of the NBA. They are the laughing stock of the NBA at this point in time. And hopefully, maybe they can fix it. But that will take time. We shall see. We're going to bring in a guy now. Great time to be this guy. You know, he won defensive MVP in the Pro Bowl. This guy now is a free agent after racking up 12 and a half sacks and having a big-time year for the Buffalo Bills. Lorenzo Alexander. Let's bring him in now. Bills linebacker, Lorenzo Alexander. Lorenzo, how are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, enjoying the off season, spending a little extra time with the family. Sounds good, man. That's a good thing. Let's get right down to it. Super Bowl Fifty One was amazing, and Tom Brady yeah. was big time. 
and led the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Your thoughts on what you saw in Super Bowl 51? Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy game. I mean, obviously the way Atlanta jumped out uh, from jump, you know, going up, you know, 21 nothing at one point and 28-3, you know, later in the game or around the third quarter. But the second half really um, turned out like I thought. You know, the, um, the Patriots' defense, you know, being a more veteran team, really stood up and played the way I thought they were going to play for four quarters. And the young defense of the Atlanta Falcons kind of, you know, kind of fell apart. You can see that some of the guys were tired, were starting to give up some big plays. Um, but obviously, you know, anytime you're competing against Tom Brady, he starts uh, making adjustments, picking guys apart, and threw a lot of guys open. So it was a great game. Um, I know many people turned it off. I was kind of, you know, almost one of those guys too, but I, I, I finished the game up. So let me ask you this. Tom Brady, is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time? I mean, you have to give it to him. I mean, obviously, in this in this day and age, in this era, he is. I mean, it's kind of hard to compare his era to Joe Montana's era just because of the rule differences. But, uh, you know, anytime you can win five championships as a quarterback, um, that's the ultimate team accomplishment. So he's definitely made the guys around him better, that team better up there. And uh, definitely the, the, the Patriots wouldn't be the, the type of franchise without the emergence of uh, Tom Brady over these years. So I give it to him. I have a lot of respect for him, um, especially playing against him um, this past season. Um, even increase that if, if that could even happen. So uh, in my mind, he is. But I, I grew up as a kid, a Niners fan, so Joe Montana's, you know, kind of ingrained in me in, in, in the foundation of my heart. Sounds good. Sounds good. We're talking to Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander. Uh, now, Lorenzo, Pro Bowl defensive MVP for you, man. You had a big Pro Bowl. You had a big hit on Jimmy Graham. You and Jimmy <laughs> Graham, you guys cool after that hit? Yeah, he got a little upset with me, but, I mean, it happens. I mean, I was just breaking on the ball. At that point in the time, the game was kind of on the line. I really wasn't trying to hit him, but, you know, you're playing football, so things are going to happen unless I just don't break and just kind of lallygag up there. So it happened. Um, I wasn't I wasn't upset with it. Obviously, he, he kind of, you know, was chirping at me a little bit. But, uh, hey, I, I'm all good with that. Went on, went on to continue to play and, and got an interception the next play. So uh, it worked out for us. We won the game. Got an extra 30 in, in, in the bag and, and got a car out of it. So um, sure. I'll do it again if I had to. So what, what, what you going to do with that car and that extra 30? Uh, well, I'm putting the 30 in the bank. I'm probably going to end up having to pay for this car, though, a little bit for it, I guess, because uh, you got to pay the sales tax on it. Okay. Um, but me and my wife going to be riding around D.C. looking uh, looking sexy on date night. <laughs> that sounds good. So let me ask you this. i got to ask you this. Being that you were about to be a free agent, and I look at myself, me personally, obviously I've never played football, but me personally, personally, I probably would not have played in the Pro Bowl. But was there any thoughts on you sitting out the Pro Bowl? Nope, never crossed my mind. Um, you know, I, I came in this league undrafted, um, kind of scrapped my whole career, you know, being a special teams guy and uh, kind of really building my name there. And anytime you're honored to play in the Pro Bowl, um, in my mind, um, it's a huge honor, so I definitely want to go out there and represent my my organization, uh, my teammates, and our fans. Um, but it, I, I I just I'm a, I'm a throwback guy, you know. I, I was raised in, in that era, so um, to, it never it never crossed my mind. Never thought about oh well I'm I'm a free agent, got a lot of money on the line. Let me let me sit out. Um, just go out there. You play you play the way you normally play during the season, and and kind of fly around a little bit. And those injuries tend not to happen. So let me ask you this. You had a big-time year in Buffalo, 12-and-a-half sacks. I mean, you got after the quarterback. 
you made plays during your season in Buffalo. What what happened? What was the difference? How, how were you? Why were you so effective? It's uh, it's called opportunity. You know, I, yeah, I've always been prepared. Now the opportunity met prep- preparation, and I was able to go out there and produce. Um, I think if you look at my career, anytime I've had the chance to play, whether it's on special teams or defense, um, I've went out there and done a, done a great job. Um, unfortunately, you know, when I was in Washington, well, not unfortunately, because we had two great players, and you always want that. And, Ryan Kerrigan and Brian Arakpo, I'm playing behind those guys. So the type of snaps and reps that you're going to get, especially in critical downs um, throughout the game, you, you're not going to see them because you have two first-rounders in front of you that are playing at a high level. Um, and then when I went to Arizona and was supposed to become that guy, I tore my list, Frank, and kind of fell off the map. And it really took me two to three years to kind of recover from that. Um, uh, fortunately, I, I, I built enough uh, – I guess, uh, in the bank or clout in the league to where I could, you know, work my way through that because a lot of guys would have probably been out the league and found myself in Buffalo healthy again. Um, some guys went down, uh, made some roster moves, and found myself in the starting role and was able to go out there and play 50, you know, snaps a game. And anytime you have that and you have some talent and you play hard, you're going to go out there and make plays. So let me ask you this. you got Rex Ryan. He's out. Sean McDermott yeah. in. From what you saw and, and what you were a part of, why did it not work out for Rex and Buffalo? Because we didn't play well enough as players to keep his job. Um, you know, anytime that you don't have success, leadership is going to take the, the blame. Um, and you see it, you saw it early in the year when our offense wasn't really producing. They let go of our offensive coordinator. Um, and then obviously throughout the year, we didn't win enough games to make the playoff. And then Rex took the hit as well. Um, but, it, I mean, it, it, that's just how the league works. It's a win-now type of league. Um, and if you don't produce and show up and make the playoffs on a consistent basis, uh, you'll find yourself out the door. Um, you, we've even seen head coaches that go to the playoffs perennially. I mean, I think I forgot who it was in San Diego maybe five, six years ago, you know, 12 and four and get fired. I mean, so it happens when you're not winning championships. And that's just part of the NFL and that's the business and everybody understands that. So ultimately, big year for you. Obviously, you're a free agent. Is the plan to return to Buffalo? I mean, that's the plan. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you have to sit down. Uh, me and my wife will sit down and, and make the best decision for me and my family. Obviously, I really love that organization up there. They took a chance on me last year, brought me in, and I was able to uh, um, have some success. Um, and then the fan base up there is awesome. Uh, but this day and age, you just never know. Obviously, you have a new a new head coach. He runs a 4-3. Uh, my role is going to be a little bit different. I'll be probably playing off-the-ball linebacker, which I've done in Washington and can do at a high level. Um, but I'm also 33, and the, the perception still is 33 is old in this league, even though I, I would beg to differ since the CBA rules has changed that the wear and tear on your body is a lot different than what it was, you know, pre this new CBA where you had double days and padded practices three days a week. Um, so I'm feeling fresh. I'm actually feeling better than what I did, you know, a couple of years ago, and I, you know, I'm obviously a couple of years older now. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I know they've expressed interest, um, and I'm excited about that. Um, definitely want to be able to turn the tide up there. I think anytime you're in an organization, you you become loyal. You know, that's just kind of what's ingrained in football players since uh, Pop Warner days. Um, but unfortunately, the NFL is is all about business first and then relationship once you build that team. So it's definitely going to be a hard decision, but uh, me and my wife will sit down and make the best ones for us. Is it about money? Is it about fit? Is it about finding a winner? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's about, you know, all those things you name. Um, Fit-wise, you know, I can fit in any locker room, any scheme. I'm a football player, um, and I think I've showcased that throughout my year by all the positions that I've played. Um, and if you give me an opportunity to go out there and, and, and play, you know, 45, 50 snaps defensively, I'm going to make I'm gonna make plays. I did it on special teams. I did it last year, so I think I have the resume to say that if you give Lorenzo a chance to play, he's going to make plays. Um but when you do a hierarchy, I mean, the only thing you can guarantee is, I mean, it's money at the end of the day. You want to play for a winning team, but winning a, a, a Super Bowl isn't guaranteed, as we saw with the Atlanta Falcons being up 28-3 to and then, and then losing it. Um, so, I mean, I think with most guys, it probably goes money, winning team, probably location, you know, kind of probably in that order. Um, going based on what guaranteed is, because you, you just you can never guarantee you to win a Super Bowl. You can put your position yourself to – I guess increase your odds going up to the Patriots, but even then they don't win it every single year. So um, uh, I think that's kind of the order most guys go into. You have to go with, with most guaranteed to you, especially in this game where I've been fortunate to play, you know, 12 years, but most of my deals have been, you know, minimum style deals. And so at the end of the day, you have to go where the money is and then kind of go from there. Um, and it's a combination of the, of the three, because um, even when I was a free agent last time, I didn't take the best deal. I took the the best deal based on me being able to start and play a lot and location. So it was kind of, you know, you kind of have to marry them all and, and kind of figure out what's best for you and your family. We're talking to Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander. Lorenzo, have you been in touch with Coach Sean McDermott? Have you guys spoke at all? Yeah, he reached out, talked to me. Um, definitely liked what I was able to do on film. Um, all the coaching staff uh, had the same sentiment as well. Um, and, and thought I could fit in the 4-3 system. So, um, and I know I can because I've done it before. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, the biggest hurdle is being wanted. You know, anytime you have transition in a, in a, on a team, you, you don't quite know where you stand uh, with the new coaching staff. Um, but having those guys reach out to me, uh, letting me know that uh, they definitely want me back is, is definitely um, um, a good feeling. Now, I heard you say if you if you do return to Buffalo that you will be more of a vocal leader. Uh, tell us why. Yeah, and, and when I say vocal leader, I think just more direct. Uh, I'm not – I'm not. I'm a guy that likes to build relationships and then kind of talk to you on the side like, hey, you might want to do this or watch me work and follow my footsteps. But I think last year that wasn't the best way to do it. I think each you have to be able to identify how your locker room best responds to leadership and then adapt uh, to that locker room for your young guys so that you can get the most out of, out of your team. So if I'm back in Buffalo, obviously if I, if I change locker rooms, it may, it may be a different approach. But definitely being more direct as far as making sure guys are doing um, all the little things, you know, watching film, taking care of their bodies, uh, paying attention to meetings, all those little things and being like right there in the meeting room in front of everybody, hey, you know, you need to be doing this or whatever. Not trying to embarrass nobody, but if we all want to win a, a Super Bowl, we need to be doing things the right way, not just uh, saying it. Uh, we have, All of our actions have to be geared towards working towards that common goal. Um, and I just want to be more vocal in, in that sense. Um, not necessarily a rah-rah speech guy before games or anything, but just the day-to-day uh, little details that people sometimes gloss over that ultimately come down to you winning or losing a game. Now, you've been on record as being a fan of Tyrod Taylor. Uh, let me ask you this. Is your return to Buffalo tied to what happens with Tyrod Taylor? 
No, I wouldn't say it's tied. Um, you know, obviously Tyrod you know, and the organization have their own set of issues that they have to, to work out, and, and I'm a totally different person. I mean, obviously I want Tyrod back because I've been in that locker room battle with him. I see how he comes to work every day. I understand this is only his second year really starting and, and continue to grow. Um, and he's, he's such a dynamic player, obviously, with not only his arm, but being able to extend plays with his, his legs as well. And, you know, in my mind, and I'm not a GM or anything, I feel like he gives us the, you know, the best chance to win. And maybe I'm biased, but, I, you know, I'll ride with Tyrod any day of the week. So, um, you know, hopefully they bring him back and he's our, our quarterback next year and, and just makes it makes it easier to come back because, you know, in this league you, you have to have a quarterback to win a championship. And I believe Tyrod is growing into that guy that can take us to that next level, especially when you think about getting Sammy back, them adding additional pieces in, in free agency or the draft to add to the arsenal. And, and not to mention that we got, you know, one of the best running backs in the game back there to help him out as well. So um, I think by keeping that continuity going and giving Tyrod obviously another year to continue to grow and continue to become the elite quarterback that he wants to be um, will put the team in the best situation. But when you're dealing with money and cap and all that, sometimes that can, you know, mess up the picture. And uh, obviously I'm not in those meetings with the coaches and the GMs to kind of discuss that. So end of the day, looking at Buffalo, looking at the talent on Buffalo, you feel like the talent is there for this team to succeed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year we going into the last two weeks of the season, we still was in the playoff hunt. Um, and we have guys across the board. I mean, it comes down to making plays, winning a one-on-one matchups and, we didn't do that last year, whether it was miscommunication or, you know, guys getting beat that have the talent, that have top-tier talent to, to make those plays. So that's why I think me being a better leader as far as making sure we everybody from top to bottom is dot, dotting those I's and crossing those T's will help us get over that hump. Um, so I take just as much ownership, you know, as anybody as far as not making the playoffs. And I think by me stepping up and some other guys doing that, uh, can definitely put us there because, you know, on paper, um, we were probably one of the best teams in the league, in my opinion. So you, you're doing big things with the Aces Foundation. What you got going on with the Aces Foundation? Anything new? Anything exciting? Yeah, well, I mean, I think this past year we uh, we partnered with the Hidden Genius Program and the African American Male Initiative in Oakland, California, and was able to put a, an instructor uh, in, a, in, a, in a local school there um, and really be able to impact the kids on a day-to-day basis, um, teaching them, you know, obviously the characteristics of what a man looks like. He works with about 14 to 15 young men in the Oakland area and just trying to build them up, understanding that they have a lot of self-worth, a lot of talent beyond with maybe what culture or the environment may be telling them what to do. Um, and it's been great, you know, really trying to push them to get into social engagement, social justice so that we can change our community um, from that standpoint, from a political standpoint, changing legislation and really trying to gear them towards that direction, uh, which has been awesome. Um, we've had some um, great relationships built, some kids starting to, you know, realize their their, their real potential. Um, it's been awesome. And then, you know, so in March 18th, we're having um, our annual bowling event. You know, so if you're in the Bay Area, Oakland, California area, you can go to LorenzoAlexander.org and click on the events and sign up and register. And it's always just a great way to, you know, give back, meet people. Um, and then also we'll have several players out there as well. So you kind of, you know, get a, a three-in-one type deal, helping the community, meeting people, and then get to obviously hang out with some uh, NFL players. So, fans, 
go to the website, LorenzoAlexander.org. That's LorenzoAlexander.org. Hit him up on Twitter, at OneManGang97. That's OneManGang97. And support all the great things going on with Lorenzo Alexander. Lorenzo, pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Get that money. I appreciate you. <laughs> All right, appreciate you, bro. All right, take care. Lorenzo Alexander, pleasure talking to him. Hopefully he gets paid, you know, big time uh, year for him and, you know, put up big time numbers. And that culminated with a big performance in the Pro Bowl. So great time talking, pleasure talking to Lorenzo Alexander. Super Bowl 51. Going into Super Bowl 51, obviously I had the uh, the uh, Falcons winning 31 to 21. And so my prediction should have been right. It should have most definitely been right. Kyle Shanahan, I blame you. But first and foremost, you got the Atlanta Falcons who jumped out early. And they continued the momentum that they had, it seemed, from the Packer game where, and even the Seahawks game, for that matter, where they came out and set the tone offensively, set the tone defensively, and more so defensively they set the tone, you know, getting that pick six and, you know, getting that fumble, um, you know, early in that football game. They set the tone throughout that game. And and setting that tone, you know, they they – Got it early on New England. And New England, you were thinking, okay, oh, wow. They could be done. They could be done. And, you know, 21 to, what, 21 to 3 at that point, I'm thinking, okay, this game is over. Well, 21 to nothing, I'm thinking, wow, this game is probably over. 28 to 3, I thought for sure it was over. And, you know, it's going to be, you know, Tom Brady, you know, almost LeBron-like in some sense. You know, LeBron three and four in NBA Finals play, and Tom Brady would have been four and three. And so you look at it, and you're like, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Atlanta is putting on these boys. They're opportunistic defensively, turning them over. They're, they're, they're moving the ball somewhere on offense, scoring some points offensively, scoring points defensively. I mean, they're doing everything that they wanted to do in that game. And when you up 28 to 3 in a third quarter, that's not a game you should you lose. You should not lose that game, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. And you look at Tom Brady, he had the greatest comeback in, in you know in terms of the in the fourth quarter when he came back against the Seahawks a couple Super Bowls ago. You know, in that fourth quarter, they were down and they came back and stormed back and won the game. Down 28 to 3, storm back and win the game. It's amazing, man. It's absolutely amazing what happened in that football game. And you know the funny thing? Uh, you, you look at those Super Bowls, you look at Daryl Bevel down there at the goal line, decides to throw a pass, picked off Malcolm Butler, ball game. You look at Kyle Shanahan, third and one. At your own 36, you call pass play, ball pops up in the air, fumble, Patriots recover, score quick, 28 to 20 at that point. Instead of running the football, 
but you had a lot of success running the football in that first half. Instead of running the football, trying to get that first down, you know, about eight minutes left in that game and keep it going and keep the clock moving. Even if you don't, even if you don't get it there, you punt it away. You know, you still take off forty-five seconds. You punt it away, and you know, you you make New England have a long field. But that didn't happen. And then, okay, you know, twenty-eight to twenty, you're still in this. You're still in the lead. You still had the ball. You still have one of the best offenses in football. Kyle Shanahan after a tremendous catch by Julio Jones that, you know, at that point, after that tremendous catch, you know, you set your team up there, you know, tremendous catch. All you need at that point is a field goal. All you need is a field goal. All you need. And that's it. So, first and 10 at the New England 22-yard line. First down, Devontae Freeman, minus one. Okay, at that point, still a 40-yard field goal. Matt Bryant has been big time. Shouldn't be a problem. Second and 11. Matt Ryan sacked. Now they're back at the 35-yard line. Okay, 52-yard field goal in the dome. Very possible. All right? And he had the penalty for holding. That backed him up all the way to the New England 45. And then Matt Ryan with the incomplete pass. And then you had to punt away. And then your defense at that point was reeling. The, the Patriots were able to move the ball on that particular – on the Falcons' defense. They were reeling at that point in time. Seemed like they were running out of gas. Vic Beasley said no. But uh, Grady Jarrett said yes, they were. So they were running out of gas. And they were on the run. They were on the move. They were having issues. And then Julian Edelman did what Jermaine Kearse did to the New England Patriots, did what David Tyree did to the New England Patriots, did what Mario Manningham did to the New England Patriots with a tremendous catch, an amazing catch by Julian Edelman. You know, it's one of those catches where you say, I don't believe what I just saw. But what an amazing catch by Edelman. And then the Patriots kept moving. And groove and they score a touchdown, get the two-point conversion, stop the Falcons on their final possession. Falcons have one more time, chance, take it to overtime. Patriots get the ball first, and they move down the field like it was nothing. And that was the game. Wow. It's one of those things where you're like, wow. If you're the Atlanta Falcons, you're going to be kicking yourself and kicking yourself and kicking yourself for a long time to come. You know, Dan Marino went to the Super Bowl his second year, never returned. And he had a long career. So there's no guarantee that you'll get back to this spot, to this position. Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl 50 the next year, which is this year, the year that just passed, they stunk to join up. They stunk to join up. And they had a horrible year, didn't make the playoffs. So there's no guarantee that this Falcon team will get back to the Super Bowl next year. And there's no guarantee, at least the way they're presently constructed, that they'll ever get back. No guarantee. So when you have that opportunity, that chance, 
win that Super Bowl, that opportunity, that chance. It's one thing to be in the Super Bowl, obviously, and, and once you're there, you have the opportunity. It's another to be up 21 to nothing. There's another to be up 28 to 3 in the third quarter. There's another to be up 28 to 9 in the fourth quarter. There's another to be 28 to 12 in the fourth quarter. There's another to be up 28 to 20 in the fourth quarter. It's another thing to be at the New England Patriot 22-yard line and then subsequently go back 23 yards because of penalties, because of sacks, and then take yourself out of field goal range where all you have to do is run the ball three times, send on Matt Bryant, have him, who's been very accurate throughout the course of this year, have Matt Bryant come onto the field and have Matt Bryant take you home and have Matt Bryant allow you to be Super Bowl 51 champions. You had that opportunity, that chance, and you absolutely positively blew it. Blew it. You're going to be kicking yourself for a long, a long, a long time. No guarantees that you will ever get back. And the funny thing, when Julio Jones made that catch, my initial tweet was, run the ball three times, kick the field goal, and let's get out of here. There was there was video of Garrett Blunt on the sideline. He pretty much was dejected at that point after that Julio Jones catch. And he's basically saying at that point in time, this game is pretty much done. He's like, all they have to do is run the ball and kick a field goal, and it's a wrap. But little did LeGarrette Blunt know that Kyle Shanahan was on his side. Just like LeGarrette Blunt really didn't know that Daryl Bevel was on his side. You know, the reality is champions find ways to win when it seems improbable, when it seems impossible. When it doesn't seem doesn't when it doesn't seem like it's likely. But if you're the Falcon organization, I know Kyle Shanahan's off to San Francisco's head coach there, along with John Lynch as a general manager. So he lands on his feet and everything is fine, and so on and so forth. DC, the defensive coordinator gets fired, defensive line coach gets fired. I mean, and again, a lot of people believe it's not just because of the Super Bowl. It's more of a byproduct of, you know, the struggles that defense had throughout the course of the season. But that defense was opportunistic in that Super Bowl. And that defense was opp- opportunistic in the playoffs. Six turnovers, including the Super Bowl, for that defense they caused. So they were opportunistic. They did what they needed to do defensively. I mean, they're, they're never going to be a Seattle Seahawks defense. And they never – be mistaken for that type of defense, that caliber of defense. But the reality is, when you're up 28-3, to you should not lose, ever. 28-3 to in the third quarter means victory. It means victory. If you can't hold the lead, 28 to 3. I guess you get what you deserve.
Ryan may never get back. Dan Quinn may never get back. You know, so much has to go right in order for your team to get to the Super Bowl. Health has to be right. And that's hard. I mean, it's tough. Certain things have to bounce your way. You know, and, and to me, it helped. It was very fortuitous that the Dallas Cowboys wasn't in the NFC Championship game. The, the, the Packers were done. They were fried when they got to the NFC title game. If you're Atlanta and you had to play Dallas, you would have first and foremost have to go to Dallas. And I think the Dallas Cowboys would have presented a, a, a tougher challenge. So you were fortunate in that respect, fortunate from the standpoint that you were healthy, your quarterback was healthy, your team was healthy, your best players were fairly healthy, Julio, your running backs, fairly healthy. All you had to do it is that simple. Run once, run twice, run three times and kick the field goal and go on home. That's all you had to do. There was no run play. More than likely, that was going to have you lose a whole bunch of yards. You had at least a 40-yard 40, you know, 40 field goal, 45 maybe at the most, if you would have lost maybe a one yard or two yards on the second down. Maybe you lost one yard on third down. Again, still about 45, 44 yards in a dome. No win, no nothing, and Matt Bryant as your kicker. Think about it. That's tough. Anyway, we go to Tom Brady. I think at this point in time, there's no argument. The, the, the argument's over. The, you could say Joe Montana's 4 0 in the Super Bowl. Great. But Tom Brady's won better. And oh, by the way, Tom Brady's been to seven Super Bowls. Five Super Bowls for Tom Brady. And in terms of a quarterback, you know, there is so no such thing as an unbreakable record. Everything is unbreakable. Everything's breakable. You know, maybe not. Uh, well, who knew, whoever thought that there would be a player who is averaging a triple-double in the NBA? And that's Russell Westbrook. Nobody ever thought that that would happen. And it's looking like it's going to happen. And you got Joe DiMaggio. I think this is an unbreakable record. Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hit streak. I think it's unbreakable. I really do. I think it's unbreakable. I don't think it's going to ever – I don't think anyone's ever going to break it. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, Pete Rose came close with 44. You know, Paul Molitor, you know, as the last guy who got – the club, well, Pete Rose is 44 in 1978, but Paul Molitor in 1987 had 39. Jimmy Rollins had 38 from 2005 to 2006. So it's, I don't think that record's going to be broken. I know Charles Kelly has five Super Bowls, but we're talking about in terms of a quarterback. I don't think we're going to see a quarterback get that record. I, I don't, no time to. No times in what? Big Ben has what? Two? Eli has two? But how much football do they have left? I mean, how much football does, does Eli and Big Ben have? Russell Wilson, he has 
one. Aaron Rodgers has one. And everybody else, you know, everybody else retired. The Mannings of the world, they're retired. So I don't, I'm just looking around. I don't see anybody touching that mark in terms of a, 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 a quarterback. I don't see anybody getting five. That's tough. That's a tall order. That's sustained greatness. That's making sure you have a big-time coach sticking around for long periods of time. Making sure you got, you know, a front office that's able to bring guys in and, you know, be able to, 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 to fill out a roster effectively. So much has to go your way. So much has to go your way. And so I don't think it's going to be touched anytime soon, years from now. Look, I mean, you know, Joe Montana, obviously, uh, you had uh, Bradshaw was the 70s, Montana was the 80s, and then it took, what, 20-some-odd years for Brady to get 20, to get four, and then, you know, to get ultimately to get five. So it takes a lot, and a lot of things have to go your way. Now we have the whole situation. It's time Brady to go. Let's cut – let's – Let's let's end it right now. He is the GOAT. Seven Super Bowls appearances, five Super Bowl titles. He's the GOAT. Conversation's over. Greatest of all time. And then we have the situation where we've got some Patriot players who do not plan on going to the White House. Martellus Bennett ain't going. LeGarrette Blunt ain't going. Chris Long ain't going. Dante Hightower ain't going. Alan Branch ain't going. McCourty, Devin McCourty ain't going. So we got some people who ain't going. I believe, my personal opinion, I know Tom Brady didn't go uh, a few years ago. You know, he said he had a prior engagement, so on and so forth. But my personal belief is, if you don't, I, I think you should make it your business to try to get there. And I know you may not agree with the policies and the politics of Donald Trump and some of the things he did in order to get elected and some of the things he said in order to get elected. I know you don't agree with all those things. But at the end of the day, you're going to encounter presidents, politicians, whose policies you don't agree with, whose policies you don't like, whose ideas you don't like, whose beliefs you don't like, whose agendas you don't like. But I think at the end of the day, you go and you, you know, you put a, a smile on your face. And, and, and in the process of going, if you want to speak out and, you know, say some things about the president, you can do that. But if you feel like, I, I think you should be there. I, I really think you should be there. I, I thought Tom Brady should have been there. And I think every player should make it their business to be there. But I understand them not going. And I tr- truly, truly, truly respect their position in that particular situation. We'll see what happens. Six players at this point. We'll see if more will join. Well, it's about 10%. So we'll see if more players will join and not show up to the White House. You see that here, and you look at the NBA where you have, what, 70 80% African-American. So if, uh, let's say the Cavaliers win, and we know LeBron really was big on Hillary, does anybody go to the White House at that point? I mean, is it a mass boycott? That should be interesting. We'll see. We're going to bring in a guy now, got a big album coming out, big single coming out, I should say. February 17th, Poppy Love, 
guitarist, Carrie Marshall. Let's Marshall, right excuse me. Guitarist, the one, the only, Carrie. Too smooth. I'm going Marshall. on, man. Yeah, How are you? man. Yeah. I'm great. I'm great. I can't complain, man. Thanks How for joining you? us. I'm great. Man, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for, for having sure. me on. For sure. So, Carrie, I know you're a big time sports fan. What we saw yes, Sunday sir. night, Super Bowl 51. Oh, man. Tom Brady, yeah. amazing. The Patriots, amazing. What a comeback. Greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Your thoughts? I It blew my mind. I literally had counted the Patriots out. I saw that they were, like, down 21-3. I told everybody. I was like, oh, put the women and children to bed. You know what I mean? Get that bear off that cub because it's over. And to see Tom Brady, like, meticulously and, like, you know, as a surgeon, like, really bring his team back. And to see that catch that Edelman made, it's just phenomenal. That shows it's, that it's not over. You know, like, when I, I kind of use the analogy in life, you know, it's not over until, like, the fat lady sings. And, you know, like, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You know, and so Tom definitely proved that um, to everybody, to the world. And to get five rings, like, you can't, there's nothing you can take away from him. You know what I'm saying? Is he the GOAT to you? Greatest of all time? Uh, when it comes to quarterbacks, you have you have to give him that that title, I mean, just because you, if we're talking about championships, definitely. Is he one of the, like, the greatest quarterbacks of all time? I mean, that argument can be, like, different ways. If you look at, that, this depends on the different things that you look at. You know, I like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning has always been my guy. Didn't have the, the hardware that Tom has. So, when it comes to hardware, I've got to give it to Tom Brady. And I think the hardware is what separates Tom Brady from Peyton Manning. Of course, of course, of course. So let me ask you this. If you were a fan of the Atlanta Falcons, how would you feel today? You know what? I, if I was a fan of Atlanta Falcons, I would feel like when Alabama lost to Clemson, man. Like, I would feel like my heart got ripped out because, I mean, that, that game was supposed to be put away. And just to see Tom Brady come back and will his team to the win, like, I, would be, I probably wouldn't answer my phone. I probably wouldn't be talking to anybody <laughs> for probably like another week. So you just sit in the room and play the guitar? I'm telling you, sit in the room. I probably wouldn't play guitar. I'd probably be so depressed right now. I probably wouldn't like, I don't want to talk to nobody. I, want, I probably don't want to eat. Like, I just, my feelings be hurt. <laughs> it was an amazing game. It was an amazing performance, man. And it was just, I, I mean, I, I, the Atlanta Falcons, I don't know how, like you said, I, I don't know how, how they wake up the next day. I don't know how they answer their phone yeah. after that one. I mean, to be that close. And then just yeah. have it taken away from you. That's tough. That's really tough, yeah. It's kind of similar to what happened to you with Alabama. You know, yeah. we did yeah. college championship game. And, you know, you had Clemson, Deshaun Watson, and those guys mm-hmm. pulled, pulled out there. Your thoughts, man. I mean, I'm, have you gotten I'm over still, it? I'm still a little tender. I have not gotten over it. I'm still a little tender, you know. Like, I, I, I take it a little personal. Like, this is probably the first time I've talked about it in a long time. To the point where I had, like, my brothers were calling me the day after to be like, hey, bro, you good? I'm just checking on you. I had to leave the place I was watching the game at because I felt myself getting heated. Like, there were a couple, you know, me and a couple of Clemson fans were kind of jarring back and forth. And I just told myself, I'm like, I got to go. Because it's not going to end, but I can just feel it already. I can feel it already. But, yeah, I'm still looking at my wounds. But, you know, like, I'm, the future is bright. We had the number one recruiting class. I'm excited about the people we got coming back next year. The sky is the limit, honestly. So you were ready to come to blows? I was. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm a passionate fan. I'm one of those guys 
that's going to talk crap the whole game, and I'm a sore loser because I'm not used to losing, you know. So I take it personal. I, you know, with my feeling on my sleeves, and they definitely get touched when my team starts to lose or my team, you know, loses. I, I definitely take it personal. <laughs> We're talking to guitarist Carrie Marshall. So moving forward, obviously you're happy with Alabama. Their former offense coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, is now off to the Atlanta Falcons. You, you've seen this guy a little bit. Should the Falcons yeah, fans be uh, happy? I honestly don't. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I, Sark is a, is a good, like, you know, offensive coordinator. He was a great offensive mind when he was back at uh, Washington and USC. I mean, it's, it's an upgrade. I mean, I feel like he could definitely bring something to the table. So, you know, again, like, it's not like they're getting a shabby guy. You know, he hasn't been road tested in a minute. So, you know, he's still kind of getting the jitters out. He's been around the game but hasn't really been involved in the game. So, I mean, this could be, like, like I said, it's, this could be a good luck moving forward. And just going back to Alabama football for a moment, You feel like, you know, obviously number one recruiting class, obviously a lot of talent, obviously Nick Saban Mm -hmm. there. You feel like at the end of the day, you guys are going to be back where you want to be next season. Oh, most definitely. I I feel that it's a – like Nick Saban has a process that he puts these guys through. And it's been proven like year in and year out we're always in the top five, technically the top three. Um, when it comes to, like, rankings, and then, like, we, we show up. I mean, to go as far as we did with a true freshman last year is unheard of. You know what I mean? We almost pulled it out with a true freshman, you know? So I, I definitely feel like Nick has a, his philosophy, his scheme, his, um, the way that he, he kind of, like, works with his team. I feel like it's, it's a, the process. You hear the, the athletes talk about it all the time. It's about the process, the process. He has a process, and it definitely proves it's proven to work. So you trust the process. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of St. Nick. You know what I mean? <laughs> Greatest college football coach of all time? I feel it. I feel it. You know what? I'm, I'm about to get a new puppy. I would even name my puppy Saban. That's how much I oh, believe wow. in, in Coach Saban. That's, that's in big. Coach Saban that much. Yeah. That's big. So let me ask you this now. Let's go to your music. You got a hot new single mm-hmm. dropping February 17th. Puppy Love. Yep. What can puppy we expect? Love. I, Man, if you guys like like Snarky Puppy, like Snarky Puppy is this, this Grammy nominee. Well, they've won two Grammys, but they're a band that does like jazz fusion. That, but it's funky, it's aggressive, it's music that you can actually relate to. And I'm I'm doing a song that's an ode to them because again, like five years ago, I got a chance to sit in with Snarky Puppy. I know like a lot of the people in the band, and I was fortunate enough to have the horn section to play on my project. So I'm really excited. If you guys are any kind of fans of music. Like, for me, I love to listen to music when I fly. This is the perfect flight music. If you're driving, if you're, like, Saturday morning, like, working on your car, just cleaning or whatever, this is the perfect song because it takes you on a, a mental journey. And the fact that music is one of those things that where it's a universal language. So we don't necessarily have to speak the same language, but we can, we can feel the same emotions. So that's why I'm really excited about this music. It's, it's definitely going to be hot. It's going to be blazing. When can we expect a full album? Um, so we're in the process of, of finishing up the album. I would like to drop it at the end of the year, but um, everything is about, like, timing and, and marketing. So, like, if it's not dropped by the end of the year, then it will we'll be at the top of next year. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this. You toured with many great artists. You played for yeah. many great artists over the years. You just got off the road with Lettucey. Oh, no. How yeah. you like the road life? I love it, man. To be honest, to, like, to share your gift and to go from city to city, 
and to kind of like where people know who you are, it's the difference now versus when I first started. People really didn't know who I was. And I've kind of like built a little name for myself with, along with branding. So to go to these different cities and have people come up, not only just to see the artists, but they want to get the chance to meet you, take a picture with you, and like, you know, hang out and ask you questions. It's, a, it's an amazing journey that the fact that you can touch so many people with something that you're able to do. You know, like I said, music has an ability to bring us all together. So, I mean, the road life is super cool. Like, I mean, I've been to so many countries that I, countries that I can't even pronounce. You know, like I never would have thought a kid from Alabama would get a chance to travel the world just to play his guitar. So it's, it's truly a blessing, man. It's really awesome. So it never gets old? Never gets old. Like, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm still hungry. Like, I, I, still, I, I still want it. I, I get up and I'm, I'm looking at emails just checking, like, hey, when are we going out? Because, again, it's just one of those those rides. Just to think about it, I mean, like, I've been to Switzerland. I've been to Germany. I've been all over the world. I've been to Malta, Malaysia, playing on these huge stages in front of people. Like, I think the largest crowd that I played in front of was 150,000 people. Oh, wow. You know, just to have that, you know, that momentum, that adrenaline. It's almost, I, I feel like it's the equivalent of, like, playing in a game. Like, you, you have people cheering. You have people, like, you know, just kind of cheering you on to the next thing, whatever. So I, I love it. Is there a singular moment? You know, obviously you've been on the road for a long time. Like you said, you traveled the world in seven seas. So is there a mm-hmm. singular moment that kind of stands out for you? A singular moment. I would I would have to say when I was out with Jason Derulo and we played in Morocco, just seeing that crowd, I mean, like, I had never witnessed 150,000 people in one space like cheering and singing the like we don't even speak technically the same language but they knew all the lyrics to the song you know that just blew my mind like the power of music the power of like you know just all in that span of time like an hour and a half or whatever we had on stage that we could all be unified and like agree about the same thing and there was no arguments there were no fights everybody was on the same page and really having a good time i think that would probably have to be a marquee moment for me we're talking to guitarists carry too smooth Marshall so let me ask you this now you're a combat war veteran two tours over there in Iraq mm-hmm. what was life like in Iraq man life in Iraq when I first got there was like super crazy like I mean anything that you see in the movies uh, depicting like war was definitely real like uh, but honestly I was so naive because I felt invincible because of the training that we had um, I, I don't know if they were just like telling us that you know we were the best. We just believed that we, nobody could beat us, you know, that we couldn't be defeated. So like I, I, we went in initially just feeling like we were invincible. Like I mean, I just think about so many times that we didn't have the best gear. Uh, Humvees when we first went over there were soft skin. We didn't have any up armor, and just knowing that we were like you know in hindsight looking at it now, like we were definitely in harm's way, but we were just kind of like like cowboys, you know. We were just like just doing our thing, just you know whatever we had to do in order to get the mission done. And uh, just being able to observe, like, some kind of, you know, crazy things that I, that I witnessed. Uh, had it not been for music, I probably mentally wouldn't be the same. Because a lot of my Army buddies just aren't, you know, well mentally and emotionally because of the stuff that we endured. So music was definitely my outlet, my saving grace while I was over there. So how many years were you in the military? I was in the military um, eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. And so... Just after the military is when you kind of jumped off with the guitar and, 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 you know, touring and all that stuff? Yeah, so what happened for me is uh, I've been playing guitar since I was 11. Always kind of a dream of mine. I remember um, we were in Kuwait, and there was, like, this huge talent show. And whoever won the talent show would get $500. And 
And I remember driving across the desert, picking up the equipment, picking up the soldiers so we can go do this talent show in front of 2,000 of our peers. And when we did the talent show and we won, that feeling that I felt on stage solidified in my heart. Like, I want to do this when I get out. So when I got out, I was playing around town like in my local band. But I was, man, I had every job you could possibly think of. I was a personal trainer at a gym. I sold life insurance. I mean, I literally did everything. I worked at the sheriff's department. I did everything, you know, trying to like, because I was, I wanted some consistency. You know, when you do this music thing at the beginning, it's really difficult because, again, there's no guarantee. Like, number one, that you'll make it, money, everything. So I wanted some consistency. And then um, during that period of time, I was traveling back and forth to L.A. like at least seven times. And a good friend of mine called me and was like, hey, I got this opportunity for you to play at the BET Awards. You just get yourself out here. I'll put you up. So once I played at the BET Awards, I knew right then and there, like, you know what? I've got to save my money, and I'm just going to make that move. And so 2013, I made the move of the transition out to L.A. And so from there, it, it jumped off, and now we're here today. Yes, sir. Yeah, like when I first got here, it was a little difficult. Like I remember playing at small churches, you know, not really making any money, but it was just the consistency of putting myself out there. Once people realized I was here, you know, I, I got my first gig out with Chrisette Michelle, you know, and then from there it was just like like hot potato. I was going everywhere, just doing everything. So end of the day, end of the day, you know, Puppy Love obviously is dropping February 17th, new album dropping sometime maybe later this year or early next year. End of the day, mm-hmm. why should anybody buy your album? Because if you're a fan of music, if you love music, this is the song for you. This is the album for you. It's definitely got something on there for everybody. And then, like, I'm a guy who, who, who aspires to inspire other people. I'm a guy, like I said, again, from Alabama, a small city who came out to follow his dreams and has been fortunate enough to, like, live his dream. So I just want to inspire the next generation. So, like, Sowing a season to me is sowing a season to the next person, you know? Sounds good. So, fans, hit this man up on Twitter at Carrie Too Smooth. Hit him up on Instagram at Carrie Too yeah. Smooth. Anywhere else they can hit you up? Oh, they can follow me on, on YouTube. Like, they can subscribe to my page. I'm always putting out new music on YouTube. It's Carrie Too Smooth or either Carrie Marshall Jr., either one. Like, you search any one of those names and just subscribe, man. I'm always putting out really dope music. You know, every day. So. so so go to all those different places and support yeah. all the great things going on with Carrie. Too smooth, Marshall. Yes, By sir. the way, before we get out of here, too smooth, where did that come mm-hmm. from? So when I was a little kid, I used to play. I was like probably like 14, 15. I was playing in these different groups. And um, I could play really well, but I, I, I never moved. I was just like, you know, I just stood in one spot. So one of the OGs was like, man, that boy's just too smooth. And it just kind of stuck. It was like, oh, who is that? Oh, that's too smooth because he don't move. You know what I'm saying? He's just too cool for school. He don't move. So too smooth just kind of stuck. It's been, it's been my nickname ever since. Sounds good. Man. What a great nickname. Harry, absolute pleasure talking to you, sir. Wish you uh, nothing but you the best again, of luck man. moving forward. Let's do it again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Definitely. Take care. All right. You too, man. Have a good one. All right. Carry too smooth, Marshall. Pleasure talking to him. Make sure you get his album, his song, his single, I should say, Puppy Love, dropping February 20th. I said February 20th, February 17th. So his album, Puppy Love, dropping February 17th. Make sure you go get it. So 
we got one more guest coming up in the Hall of Fame. You know, they named their list this week. Last week, I should say, at the Super Bowl. And one guy, noticeably missing, Terrell Owens. I mean, I get it. The first time around, you know, he's not a guy who, who you know, always was good with his teammates, so on and so forth. I get it the first time around. I get it. But come on. Come, come on. Second all-time in receiving yards. Third in career receiving touchdowns. Eighth in receptions. I mean, what more does guys, this guy has to do? And Dan Fouts sounded so stupid. I'm sorry. He sounded so stupid. Quote, I think his numbers are worthy, but again, on the other side of it, I think his actions on and off the field, on the sidelines, in the locker room, and the fact that he played for so many teams was such a great player and was such a great player. The question that comes to me is if he was such a great player, why did so many of those teams get rid of him? I think we all know the answers. I think he did receive a fair evaluation of his career, both pros and cons, but obviously ripping the Hall of Fame in the process, what good is that going to do? I just don't understand that. I didn't understand a lot of the things he did in his career. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It sounds silly. Now we're all taking a, a, a moral high ground here. Stop it. That's so dumb. Dumb. That's crazy. Doesn't make sense. In today's NFL, guys are going to move around. You know, the guys are going to move around. Emmett Smith moved around, went to another team. You know, LaDainian Tomlinson didn't play his whole time in um, in uh, uh, San Diego. Jerry Rice didn't spend his whole career in San Francisco. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. There's nothing more T.O. can do. You know, one leg was in the Super Bowl. Played big time, almost got a victory for the Philadelphia Eagles. There's nothing more T.O. can do. Stupid, it's silly. He's a Hall of Famer. Figure point blank. But we're going to bring in a guy who actually is a Hall of Famer. He was inducted this week, last week, I should say. Let's bring him in. Hall of Famer, Kenny Easley. Let's bring him in now. The newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame inductee, the one, the only, Kenny Easley. Kenny, how are you? Fantastic now. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, doing great. Uh, thank you very much. So let me ask you this. What was your initial reaction when you found out that you would be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Uh you know, uh, it was a 20-year wait for me, and uh, I, I just never allowed myself to believe that uh, it was going to happen. And uh, when Dave Baker knocked on the door, uh, I still had to gather myself because I just couldn't believe that after a 20-year wait uh, that uh, this was happening to me. Uh, and then... Um, 
on Monday, uh, the reality set in when we're sitting down there talking about the Hall of Fame weekend. It's, it's really when it hit me that uh, I was a pro football Hall of Famer, mostly because uh, they call you by your number. I'm number 306. I'm number 306 uh, Hall of Famer. And uh, we now have 310 members in the, in, the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I'm number 306. And that's when it hit me that I'm a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Wow. That's big time, obviously. Now, were there moments, were there times where you didn't think it was going to happen? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the first time I, first of all, the first time I ever thought about being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame was in 2002 when I was, uh, when I was placed in the, in the Seattle Seahawks Ring of Honor. And one of, my, one of my buddies said to me when I got back to Virginia, he said, congratulations. He said, now you deserve to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, I, and, to, and this is the God's honest truth. I had never thought about going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame until he made that statement to me. Oh, wow. And then I, then I did a little research and found out that uh, I was on a 1980s all-decade team. And on that defensive, on that first-team uh, first uh, defense, uh, I was the only defensive player that was not in the Hall of Fame. The, the other 10 guys were in the Hall of Fame. And that's when I really started thinking about the prospects of being in the Hall of Fame was in 2002. So when you retired in 1987, you never looked at your career and said to yourself, you know what, there's a possibility I could be a Hall of Famer. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Did you look at it at all in 1987 when you entered your career? No, I did not. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, because... I was so upset with the Seahawks that uh, they traded me um, to the Arizona Cardinals, and I failed the physical and found out that I had a kidney ailment. And when I got back to Seattle, uh, the general manager of the team at the time made a statement to the press that uh, – we are basically we are aware that Kenny easily failed the, failed the physical, but whatever the circumstances are, it was not football related, and that just incensed me that he would make a statement like that when uh, I'm suffering from a kidney ailment, probably going to have to go on dialysis at some point and maybe even get a kidney transplant. And he's going to tell the press that it was not football related. I mean, why else? I mean, what else could it be? I go to Arizona and I fail the physical. It wasn't for any other reason than the, than the, uh, than the kidney ailment. And uh, I know for a fact now after we uh, subpoenaed all of my records from 1981 and 1987 that – the Seahawks knew about the kidney ailment and were, was hoping that the Arizona Cardinals uh, wouldn't, wouldn't find it, would basically pass me on the physical and overlook the kidney ailment. Wow. 
So I was so intense with the Seahawks that I didn't want anything to do with, with football. In fact, I didn't watch a football game from 1987 to 2002. Wow. 15 years, 15 years I was divorced of football and divorced uh, with the Seahawks. I didn't say a word to the Seahawks for 15 years. And then in 2002, they called me and said that they wanted to put me in the ring of honor. And that was when Paul Allen had purchased the team from the former owners. We're talking to Hall of Fame inductee Kenny Easley. So when you got the call from the Seahawks, were you reluctant at all? I mean, what was your reaction when you got the call? No, no. Uh, you know, they, they had a whole new regime of people. They had a, a new coach. They had new doctors, new trainers, uh, new lawyers, and everything, a new owner. So uh, after 15 years, I mean, how long can you stay mad? at somebody, I guess, until they change ownership, right? Sure. So uh, they had changed ownership and changed out all the personnel. And the only reason is to stay mad at somebody if, if they've changed ownership, ownership and everything else, if you just want to be foolish. Right. And I've never considered myself foolish. So they call, and they, they have new ownership and new people. They've been uh, fairly decent to me. So during that time, those 15 years when you didn't watch football, did you miss it at all? Nope. Didn't listen, didn't watch. Uh, you know, the only way I could, you know, I, when I left the game, I was 28 years old. And there was no way that I was going to be able to handle leaving the game just on my own. And so I prayed to God that he just remove uh, any willingness or desire to ever want to play football again. And he did it for me. And that was the only way that, that I could have withstood leaving the game at age 28 when I was at the top of my career. So how, how long did it take? I mean, I know you said you prayed to God, but how, how many years did it take to get that that desire to play football out of your system? Maybe a week or two. Okay. Um, and uh, I know that's going to sound funny to some folks that are listening to this, but, you know, God works in mysterious ways, and, and when you talk to God and, and, and ask Him to do things for you, Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's not. But I have a belief in God. I, I trust God. And when I asked him, he delivered. And like I said, in 2002, when I went down on that football field to get inducted into the Seahawks Ring of Honor, that was the first time that I had been around football in, in 15 years. That's amazing. That's amazing. We're talking to Hall of Fame inductee Kenny Easley. So let me ask you this now. You played strong safety throughout the course of your career, but you have a belief that if you played free safety, you would actually be better. So hypothetically speaking, would that Hall of Fame call have come a little sooner if you played free safety? I have no doubt. I have no doubt. 
I was a three-time consensus All-American free safety at UCLA. I was regarded as the best free safety in the nation in 1981. And Seattle drafted me and fixed me at strong safety because what they saw in me was a run-stopping defensive back. Basically, I was another linebacker that could, that could cover. And so they stuck me at free safety. Now, I could have demanded that I play free safety. When you're asked to do something, you roll up your sleeve, you learn how to do it, and you do it as well as you can do it. That's the environment that I grew up in. Do you regret it? I regret that I didn't, that I didn't demand to play free safety. Yes, I regret that. But okay. it is what it is, and it's no sense in, you know, reliving spilt water, you know, spilt milk. Um, I had a chance to to to, to do that, and uh, I don't know why I didn't. That is over with now. It, it, it's been thirty years now, so uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't I can't relitigate that. Right, right. So you were there. At Super Bowl 51, what an amazing game. What an amazing performance by Tom Brady. When it was 28-3, did you think it was over? No, man. Look, I played in too many games where uh, we've been down, we've, we've been up. We, were up. we were up against the New England Patriots one time when Steve Grogan was the quarterback in New England. 28-3 to three at halftime. And Steve Grogan comes out in the, in the second half and throws four touchdown passes, and we lose the game 32-28 to 28 or something like that. We were, we were down to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the kingdom one year when Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback. And we switched quarterbacks from, David, from Jim Zorn to David Craig and David Craig throws four touchdowns in the second half, and we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 35-28. So I've been on both sides of the ball. That's why they play four quarters. And, Denver, and, and, and New England knew, knew that. Atlanta didn't. That's why New England is the, probably the, the greatest all-time football franchise in the freaking world. So let me ask you this. You talk about New England being the greatest franchise of all time. Is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time? Could very well be. I mean, you got to throw Joe Montana in there, and sure. and uh, maybe even maybe even Terry Bradshaw. And uh, but um, you know, it's it, it, you can't vote against the guy as an all timer. Now, I'm not a guy that. That they like to go down this goat path, greatest of all time, because inevitably somebody is going to come along and surpass even what Brady has done. It's inevitable. Just like somebody will surpass Michael Jordan, somebody will surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, somebody even is going to surpass Serena Williams. It's inevitable. So when it comes to people, I don't like to say greatest of all time. You know, say greatest of this time. 
but maybe not of all time because you just never know who's coming down the pipe. I guess at the end of the day, all records are made to be broken. But that's right. Five Super Bowls, man, that, that seems that seems somewhat unreachable, but like you said, and, and anything can be reached, and it probably yeah. will be reached at some point. Yep, all of the records will fall at some point. Now, there, there's some stuff, there's some things out there that that seem to be unreachable, but who knows in 50 years what what can happen. So let me ask you this now. The NFL is, is totally different than when you played. Obviously, it's less physical. You are a hard hitter, man, and, and some of the hits maybe would be illegal today. Do you think you would have been able to adjust? Well, I would have either adjusted or been broke because I would have been fined. Uh, I've been fined every week. And, um, you know, it, it, it would have been difficult the way we played in the 80s uh, to play that way in the 2000s. And I understand why the game has changed. You know, they're trying to protect me from head injuries and, and things of that nature. And uh, But the only thing that I truly despise about NFL football today is the Pro Bowl game. That game should be eliminated because that's flag football, what they're doing out there. It doesn't even represent pro football the way it should be represented. Back in my day, uh, we practiced in helmets and shoulder pads when we were in Hawaii, and then we'd go out on Sunday and we would say before the game, look, this is an 80-percenter, you know, but we're going to tackle each other. Now, we're not going to play, you know, 100% like we do during the regular season, but we're going to play 80% football. And we would go out there and tackle each other. If you watch the Pro Bowl today, that, that, need, that needs, to, needs to be flag football, tagged, flags on those guys, because that is – a aberration of professional football. But let me ask you this. Obviously, you know, those guys, let's just say they do play a little harder. They do risk injury. And obviously, in risking injury, you risk money. So can you understand it from that standpoint? Yeah, but if you love the game, you play the game the way it's, the, the way it's designed to be played. You play it hard. Like I said, when we went to Pro Bowl in the 80s, we had a gentleman's agreement that we were going to play around 80%. But we tackled each other. We tackled each other. And why they can't go out there and, and, and tackle each other, that's just, that just blows me away. I, I, I can't. I just simply can't understand it. Walking the Hall of Fame and Duck D, Kenny Easley. So how much football do you watch? I know you, you stopped watching football for a long period of time, but how much football do you watch now? I only watch the Seahawks when they play on TV. Not interested. Uh, the game doesn't interest me anymore uh, just to randomly watch a football game. You see how it's playing, uh, and they're on in our, in our region down here in Norfolk, Virginia, that I'll watch. But otherwise, I, don't watch, I, I really don't watch uh, pro football. So you talked about the game being so different, obviously, from the time you played until now. When you watched it in 2002, did you recognize it? It was different. I mean, everything was different about it. You know, back in the 80s when I played, 
we played in the kingdom. Uh, when I went into the ring of honor and went to that new stadium, uh, CenturyLink Field, uh, and they, they gave my family and I a, a tour of it uh, earlier in the day, I just could not believe what the modern, what the modern stadium, stadiums look like. Uh, it's everything that you could imagine was in this stadium. Obviously, you got the weekend is coming out there, you know, August, out there in Canton, Ohio. Like, okay, when do you sit down and write that speech? I started writing it, man. I've been writing this speech for a, a whole month now. Oh, wow. I have been. I started writing this speech. Uh, I started writing this speech in January. And I've torn it up a few times because something else comes about. And, uh, and I'll probably rewrite it another 50 times before August. <laughs> We're talking to Hall of Fame inductee Kenny Easley. So who's going to present you? My high school coach. Okay, your high school coach. Yes. What's going on with Kenny Easley today? Uh, running a NFL flag football league, which is just absolutely the, the, the best thing that I've probably done in my life. I absolutely enjoy these young kids, being able to shape and mold these young kids. And see, I like them young because... You can work with them when they're young. We take them, we, we take them at 7 years old to 14 years old. And that's the perfect age to, to shape and mold these kids. And the, and the thing about it is that these kids, they want to hear what I have to say to them. They want me to discipline them. They want me to tell them that they're doing good or they're doing bad. The, the platform has just gotten bigger now. We're going to get more kids because uh, – I have the title of Hall of Famer behind my name now. We're already uh, probably over oversubscribed for our spring league that takes place in April. But it's going to be a big platform, and uh, it's going to give me a chance to really um, do something wonderful, wonderful for the kids in the Hampton Roads area. So Hall of Famer Kenny Easley. How's that sound? I like it. <laughs> I like it. Has a nice ring to it. Yeah. So fans, make sure you hit this man up on Twitter at Easily Force Five. Go to his website, force5ke.com, force5ke.com, and support all the great things going on. With the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Kenny Easley. Kenny, absolute pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. We'd love to do it again. Absolutely. Be my pleasure. Anytime. Kenny Easley, newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I want to thank Kenny Easley for stopping by. Also want to thank Buffalo Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander. And also guitarist Carrie Marshall for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where you can listen to this show, 
and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter, at Go For It Camp. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.